Good morning, church. Good morning. And a special greeting to uh, those of you joining us for the first time here. Uh, we're glad you're here worshiping with us at Pioneer. And I also want to acknowledge those joining us online, wherever you are, on our, our Pioneer online community. Also welcome uh, to worship. And, uh, you know, that was, I don't know what they were saying, but they were saying it beautifully. Oh, I was so excited. It was lovely. And I was trying not to covet the beautiful skirts. Um, it's so good to be at church today from the children's story to, to the music and our fellowship together. So it's good to be at church today. Um, you know, before I, I go any further, let's pray. Lord God, your people are listening and we ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts. In your name, amen. Amen, amen. So, so in case you are not aware, and also if you're aware, I'm going to remind you that we are in the midst of a summer uh, sermon series with um, uh, my colleagues, the associate pastors, for these uh, past, um, what, four weeks? I guess this is the fourth week of it. And the title of the series is, I Wonder What the Bible Says About, and it's a blank. And uh, what we did is two months ago, we surveyed you all and also the member of our online community, asking them how they would complete this sentence. And we gathered the top five most requested theme that you'd like for us to preach on. So just as a review, we began this countdown uh, of the most top, like the fifth most requested uh, topic and theme was end times. That was Pastor Ortiz uh, preached on end times. Pastor Bourget um, then preached on sexuality the following week. Pastor Terrell uh, preached about the Sabbath. That was the um, third most requested topic. And then now, I should say, yeah, the third. So what I'm going to speak to you today about is the second most requested topic. And uh, Pastor Ben Martin will preach next week as we end our series on the top five most requested theme ever. That's going to be next week. But today, uh, I was surprised that the second most requested theme by you all was forgiveness. And the more I thought about it, I, I guess it's not that surprising when we consider the times that we are living in. I mean, it's a time of, uh, in which, under the threat of, uh, it seems anyway, of more terrorism and violence and people retaliating against each other. And it's a time in which uh, just posting something on Facebook um, uh, may cost you your life. Uh, you know, we're in great need of, of forgiveness uh, in this world. But, you know, before I jump in the topic, I wanted to at least uh, address three realities about forgiveness. So three realities about forgiveness. And reality number one, forgiveness is hard. And um, while some of us are more naturally forgiving than others, um, uh, it's far easier to hold on to grudges against people that have hurt us right? Um, a study in Pfizer Institute, you know, in showing the, the trend about forgiveness, um, says they surveyed about I don't know, thousands of people over 18, and they found out that um, for most people, uh, forgiveness is not, it doesn't seem to be very realistic. One of the survey results that really surprised me was that forgiveness was by 90% of the people uh, did not belong in the workplace. I thought that was weird. And uh, for the majority of the people, more than half of Americans believe that there are some instances when people should never, ever be forgiven. 
And we can relate to that because there are crimes, you know, they get a very visceral reaction. Um, and uh, the thought of somebody hurting or maiming our loved one does not inspire like a knee-jerk uh, forgiveness reaction, right? Uh, yet, yet, there are no loopholes in the Bible. And the, there's no exception. And the, the imperative is forgive. And the imperative of forgiveness is unavoidable, all right, because we have to for- forgive um, from the people who are called by God's name. And by people whose Savior's first word on the cross was forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So we must forgive. For- forgiveness is hard. The second reality is forgiveness is divine. And you've heard the expression, right, to, to err is human and to forgive is divine, yes. And um, so there's nothing human about forgiveness. And, um, and if so, we all would be experts. Now, um, pop psychology and, and um, gives us tools and tricks on how to forgive. But even, you know, through, I decided to kind of do a little bit of research, but even then the word mystery came up a lot. The word mystery. But it's more than a mystery for us, isn't it? Uh, it, is, um, it is divine. God invented forgiveness. Forgiveness is indeed divine. So it's hard. It's, it's divine. And finally, the third reality I want to tell, talk about is that forgiveness is possible. It's possible. Amen. Now, I would venture to, to guess that most of us, all of us, have heard a sermon on forgiveness at least once in our lifetime, or more, surely more than that, and maybe every Sabbath we hear about forgiveness. So that's the problem for us. We've only, some of us, uh, some of us have, worked, have walked that journey in a very serious way, and for many of us, it seems, based on your request and based on the statistics and the, the anecdotal evidences, that uh, for most of us, that it's just stories relegated to sermons, and that's something that we experience, this freedom from grudges and hurt. And, and a lot of us are longing to see the Bible at work in our lives, and longing for transformation and to live transformed lives, free and forgiving. So forgiveness is possible, and we need, especially to need to, we need to know that it's possible to be forgiven, it's possible to forgive, uh, because sometimes we get stuck. I don't know about you, but I've, um, I've prayed you know, to forgive someone, and after retreat and a, and a come to Jesus moment, I feel freedom. I've forgiven, Hallelujah! And I walk away from my prayer, and then you know, down the road, that feeling comes back again, and I think, wait a minute, I thought I dealt with that. So often, you know, forgiveness feels like more like a process than something that happens all at once, many times. And sometimes, you know, on the journey to forgiveness, a lot of us get stuck or lost, and we're not sure what to do with the anger, with the bitterness. We're not sure what to do with it, especially if the person is no longer around or unrepentant. Now, when I get lost, which happens quite a bit of time, I must admit, because I don't have a great sense of direction, uh, my GPS has saved me a lot of awkward, awkwardness and has um, helped me redirect uh, find my way. So, um, so GPS stands for Global Positioning System. But what I want to bring to you today, um, church, 
family is a different kind of GPS. And uh, it, it describes the condition that we need to have in order to experience forgiveness. So I, what I submit to you today, brothers and sisters, is that I want to share what the Bible says about forgiveness and share with you a GPS that will help us find our way on a journey of forgiveness so that we can receive forgiveness and so we can forgive. This GPS that I'm talking about is inspired by um, the narrative of Genesis chapter 50. And you can turn there or you'll see it on the screen. And this narrative takes us on a journey, right? Uh, From Canaan to Egypt and back. So that's why I'm I'm inviting you to turn to Genesis 50. Uh, Now, I want to say though, uh, I'm not going to assume that everybody has read the story of Joseph. And when the day after I was baptized, what is etched in my memory, right, when I was baptized into this church are two things, two things that I was in awe of. And the first thing is this most amazing invention called haystacks. I was introduced to haystacks. That was part of my discipleship journey, uh, the haystack. And two, which I associate with it, was my grandmother who insisted on taking me on a journey of reading a story of the Bible in the Bible for the first time. And the first story she introduced me to was a story of Joseph. I was about 16, 17 years old, and I was reading for the story of Joseph for the first time. And, you know, I was amazed by that story. I couldn't believe it was in the Bible. It was a story about this, this, this boy, Joseph, 17 years old, and he's a favorite son of this man called Jacob. And he has 10 brothers who are very jealous of him. And then Jacob gives him a, a nice coat, and that increases their jealousy. And Joseph has, Joseph has this gift of, of, of dreaming, big dreams, and interpreting these dreams. And these brothers um, conspire to kill their younger brother. It was scandalous stuff. And uh, they end up selling him to a traveling caravan. So to cover their tracks, they take Joseph's coat and they kill an animal, dip it in blood and and present it to the father and say, so sorry, dad, you know, he was killed by a wild animal. And then at that moment, uh, my grandmother would stop. And I said, wait, we can't stop here. This is getting good. She says, no, we're going to continue reading it later. Okay, we're going to read it together. And we would go back again to the story. And then Joseph was in prison. He was in prison and he almost got out, but then he didn't. He was there for like 17, 18 years until somehow the Pharaoh heard that he had this gift of interpretation of dreams and vision. And Joseph um, is in front of the Pharaoh and helps the Pharaoh solve this great economic problems. And, and Joseph seems to have the solution for this famine that's, that's uh, coming for this country in Egypt. And the Pharaoh sees this potential of leadership and administration in Joseph and appoints him as a governor or a vizier, which is remarkable in itself, which I didn't know at the time. But only people, men who were in the line of the Pharaoh, had that kind of position. Here's Joseph, a nobody, and he becomes, at 30 years old, governor, second in command to the Pharaoh. An amazing rags-to-riches story, like nothing else. And then uh, enter enter the brothers, and the plot thickens because they think Joseph is dead. They had no idea that this man, this powerful man, was Joseph. They didn't recognize him, but Joseph did. And then the emotion was so raw as Joseph recognizes his brother. And he, and, and I thought, this is it. Joseph is going to get, it's payback time. You know, Joseph is going to show him, you know, what's what. And, 
And no, he doesn't. He forgives them after struggling and kind of testing them. And I remember, I can hear my voice saying this, you know, to my grandmother. I said, this should be a movie. <laughs> I was so amazed. So Joseph uh, forgives his brother and then he's reunited with his father and they live happily ever after. Right? No. And that's why we are picking up the story in Genesis 50. And um, when Joseph's uh, father, Jacob, has died, and then Joseph's brothers begin to worry. So Genesis 50 looks like the end of a long journey of forgiveness. And this is where we want to take our GPS from, this lesson of forgiveness. So we're going to read it together, actually. We're going to read it from the screen. What I'm going to invite you to do, church, is to read the, the words that are in yellow. So we'll read it together. So Genesis 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servant of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his word. Amen. You know, rejection is really hard enough, right? But when you get rejected by your family, once you think in the back of your mind that if my family don't want me, who else is going to want me? And in the time of Joseph, this is particularly poignant because, you know, to, your identity is wrapped up in the community and in the family. And in a, very, very indiv- in a way that in an in individualistic society that we're in, is very difficult to understand. So they felt that essentially that Joseph wasn't even worth living, that he was worth as a slave or dead, and he stripped him of his identity. He's a man without identity at this point. And then um, they've done this to him. So there was a lot to forgive. So when Jacob died, the brothers were afraid that Joseph might change his mind. And you know, there is no record that Jacob ever said, hey, you know, be nice to your brothers. There's no record of that that we know of. So Joseph, you know, takes it to heart, and, and he's been through, um, uh, through, by the way, the good that Joseph refers to. What is this good? And um, you don't have to turn, it, the, turn there, but Genesis 45, um, verse 7, this is the good, that God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save our lives by a great deliverance. You know, Joseph tells them, God sent me, you, you meant it for bad, you sell me for slavery, but through the circumstances now, I am saving everybody's life and our family's life. The first G of our GPS on the road for forgiveness is gratitude. G is for what? Gratitude. For God's goodness. Gratitude is thanking God for what he's done, um, things that we don't deserve that he's done. Now, throughout the biography 
of Joseph, we see the glimpses of, of this attitude of, of, um, of, of gratitude. We see the glimpses of it. Even when you read uh, Genesis um, 41, as he's established in, this, in his country, uh, uh, his adoptive country, basically, of Egypt, it says in Genesis 41 that he named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God made me forget all my trouble. Uh, from my father's household. And in verse 52, he says, his second son, he named Ephraim. It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of, the su- of my suffering. There's a, there's, a, the theme, there's a theme, there's a strain of gratitude. God has made him forget, soothe his pain, and God has made him a success. And indeed, the Bible corroborates that impression of Joseph. Because it says that, that God's favor was on Joseph. So there's a strain of, of gratitude if you read um, his biography. So Joseph suffered, and there was a lot to forgive. But God's goodness, the, aware of, the awareness of God's goodness uh, helped him in, in dealing with his painful memory. Now, what does gratitude have to do with forgiveness? Why is it so important to have this, this gratitude to not forget the benefits of God. Um, You know, we want to stay in Genesis 50, but we want to turn briefly in Matthew 18. Now, Jesus tells a parable of this man who owed the king a lot of money, thousands of money. And this guy begs the king, please forgive me. And the king does forgive him. Next thing you know, this guy, um, this friend, his friend, a fellow servant, owes him a couple dollars. And he says, no, I want the couple dollars now. And the guy can't pay. He throws him in jail. And so we pick up the story here in Matthew 18. Um, so the king hears about this. And the king called the man who, who he had forgiven. And he said to that man, you evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as he had mercy on you? You know, if we don't take the time to be aware of how much we have been forgiven, we cannot bestow that forgiveness on somebody else. Gratitude is very important on the road to forgiveness. This is something else too. Unforgiveness kills us. Unforgiveness is a killer. And I'm not going to bore you with all the statistics of, of, um, of what forgiveness does. And, and there's plenty of studies that show that what the result of not forgiving, of harboring a grudge, causes so much in our body, you know, in terms of depression and high blood pressure and even sudden death. It can actually kill us. But not only in the physical realm can it kill us, but it can kill us spiritually. Because when we have unforgiveness, this is the next part, Matthew 18, actually, the next part of the parable. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you if you do not forgive your brother and sisters. Not just forgive, but from the heart. That's a lot to ask, Lord. If you don't forgive him from the heart, you are doomed for damnation, for eternal death. We must forgive. We must be desperate to forgive. Now, Joseph talks about God's goodness, that God meant for good. And I was taught that you should read the the Bible with the people in mind who are reading that passage or hearing, because it's an oral tradition, who are hearing that passage. So what what could have been triggered in their mind when they hear that? Possibly it took them back to the beginning, you know, to the beginning. When I mean the beginning, I have in my notes here Genesis 131, where it says that God saw that he, all that he had made, and it was very, right? Speaking of good, and speaking of creation, 
um, Romans 8.22 is not on the screen, but I'll just read it to you, is we know that the whole creation is groaning with birth pain. What is a creation groaning? And it, because it's waiting. It's waiting for God's recreation and for God's goodness to fill it up again. It's waiting for God's goodness to, 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 to happen. So to be grateful for God's goodness is to be grateful for what he has done, but it's also to be grateful for what he will do. To be grateful for the recreation that he will do. We wait, we long for it. So gratitude, and I really want you to to hear me out here. Gratitude helps us retell a story where there is no room for grudges because God's goodness crowds it out. In other words, what makes forgiveness so hard is that we rehearse what we have lost because we grieve what was taken away from us. But when you choose gratitude, you choose to recognize the work of God to restore goodness and that he will do it again, including what we have lost. When you're aware that God's goodness is going to replace, it's going to not even replace, but restore, it creates an abundance from which you are able then to forgive. G is for gratitude. First Timothy 4.4 4 says, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is, to be, if it is, if it is received with thanksgiving. We want to rehearse God's goodness. And we're going to take the time this morning to rehearse God's goodness. What I want to do, take the time. Could you look at the person sitting next to you, to the right and left of you? Your heads are not turning. Look at each other. Maybe for the first time, even if you came home with them, from home with them, yeah. All right, good. So they're safe. So what I want you to do is, in groups of two or three, this is what I want you to do. It's on the screen, actually. You're going to say, my name is, okay, even if you came home with them, my name is Rick. (laughs) And I thank God for... Okay, you're just going to do that quickly. And those of you listening, our online, um, our online uh, uh, congregation community, you do the same. And you can actually type it up, you know, and fill in the blank for us. Uh, I thank God for. So I'm giving you half a minute to do this. All right? My name is, and I thank God for. All right. Rehearse God's goodness. And I know I'm interrupting you. Okay, we, should, we ought never to be tired to rehearse God's goodness. We want to rehearse it. Amen. Say amen. Amen. Remember, okay, we don't want to forget God's benefits. So G is for gratitude. G is for gratitude. Now, um, P, GPS, the P. The P is for powerlessness. Powerlessness. This is what the word says. You know, in Romans 12, 19, it says that uh, God says, do not take revenge, my dear friend. That's what it says. It says, um, leave room for God's wrath. Don't take the power uh, for yourself. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord in Romans 16:19. I will repay. Joseph chooses forgiveness, but he doesn't he doesn't want to play God. That's why in that passage he says, am I God? Am I taking the place of God? The sure way to, to become like Satan, the sure way to become God's adversary is to take God's place and decide how you will exact justice. That's how you become Satan. Powerlessness, um, it is the way of God because it is the way of love. Powerlessness. 
And as an, as an example of that, what better example from, than from Luke 23, 34 and 35, from the, from the word of God. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In verse 35, they divide up his clothing by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the ruler uh, even sneered at him. They said, he save others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. They don't even care. They don't even, they dis, their disdain that forgiveness that he gives. Powerlessness is, is taking the risk of the other person having the upper hand. And we don't like that, that somebody else might have the upper hand. It's to admit you hurt me or you, you rip my, my soul apart and it may seem like you're giving the person the upper hand, but, but the way of powerlessness is the way of honesty, it's the way of, it's the way of, of love. And the thing is, I don't want to just tell you, you know, my beloved, you know, just go and love. And I don't want to fill us with, with, with platitude in terms of, because all of you know we ought to love. All of you know that. Mm. But how does that look like practically? Well, I stumbled on this definition of forgiveness. There are a lot of definitions of forgiveness. If we were to survey this, this congregation, we would find a lot of definition and, and, and wonderful one, beautiful one, and clever ones as well too. But this, this definition here by Fred, Dr. Fred Luskin, and, and let me tell you who he is, Dr. Fred Luskin. I don't know if he's a man of faith or not, but you know, he's, um, he's a researcher at Stanford University, and, um, and he has this, this project called Forgiveness Project, um, this organization that studies basically how to treat trauma, I mean trauma caused by uh, catastrophe, uh, such as 9-11 for example. So they study how to help people forgive. And, and, he shares, and, he, and he shares this definition after extensive study. He says this is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is learning to make peace when you didn't get what you wanted and you objected to it. I'm going to say it again. Learning to make peace when you didn't get what you wanted and when you said why, no, when you objected to it. You learned to make peace with it. And I saw that and I, and I thought to myself, this this is what powerlessness looks like. See, the story of Joseph teaches us that forgiveness is not about using your power to crush your opponent because of what he did to you. Forgiveness is not um, dependent on the other person coming back to you and saying, I am so sorry I hurt you. I'll never do it again. In fact, Joseph, in the story of jo- uh, uh, the brothers, you know, they never asked for forgiveness. They never said, I'm sorry, before Joseph said, I forgive you. In fact, they were terrified. You know, when Joseph said, I'm your brother, I'm Joseph, the big reveal, they were terrified that they were going to lose their life right then and there, that he was going to exact revenge on them. They didn't, so, so forgiveness is not even dependent on that. And the Bible is amazing because the Bible is very realistic about our human nature's tendency to want to equalize everything. They did this to us, we're going to do that to them. And the prayer, there's a prayer in, in Psalm 137, that, that shows that despair and it's a prayer from people who have been misplaced, who have lost everything that, they're, that's, that they hold dear. And this is, this is what they say in their prayer in, in, in Psalm 137. They say, happy is the one who take their babies and dash them against a the rock. They are raging, sometimes raging against the unfairness of what somebody has done to you. Raging may make them feel powerful. And raging may make us feel powerful, but the comfort that I find in this prayer is that God doesn't condemn 
them for praying that prayer. God, no, there's no indication in the story of Joseph that, that God condemned Joseph for crying, for, for seeming to be angry. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like as a church, we need to, to apologize to people. We need to apologize for the time when the people of God have told someone who's been abused or who's been traumatized, you know, forgive already, let it go, or go back to him or go back to her. And forgiveness is certainly doesn't mean that you, there's reconciliation. It doesn't mean you have to go back to them. But it does mean that sometimes you're going to express anger and you're going to express hurt. And God only asks that you express it to him because he's able to handle it. So there's no sin in feeling. And, and God invites us in all that weakness to embrace powerlessness. And why does he want to do that? Because 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 to 10, it says that God's power is made perfect only in our weakness. So the road to forgiveness is possible when we embrace powerlessness. We can't change and turn the clock. We can't restore the innocence that was lost, the person that we have lost. And we admit, we object, we don't agree. It happened, but we make peace with it. Forgiveness is possible. And some of us here, I don't know, somebody's here probably, and, and aren't you tired of being angry? Are you tired of always carrying that bitterness? I want us to say a, a, a prayer. Practice this prayer sometime this week, or you can even practice now as you think about an infraction that was done against you. And I want us to, to say this prayer together. Lord, I forgive. Please help my unforgiving. I want you to say it again. Lord, I forgive. Please help my unforgiving. It's a prayer of powerlessness. And some of us listening, you know, to my voice and even in this room, you know, this is not just a theory. They have walked the walk of of deep forgiveness and that wrestling. And I wanted to share with you the story of Linda White because the first time I heard that story, it just absolutely blew my mind. And they were revisiting her story in around 20. 2013 or 2012, and um, Linda White, this lady from Texas, forgave her daughter's killers. And the only explanation she offered uh, in a blog, in a faith blog, actually, was she can't explain it in her personal testimony. She can't explain how she did it. Um, She can only say that it's because of God's grace that she forgave the killer of her daughter. Now, her daughter, Kathy, was a 26-year-old in the in 1986 or 1987, and Kathy had a five-year-old daughter. And she was, uh, things were working out for Kathy, finally, and uh, she, she had found a wonderful man that she was going to, to marry. And, and Linda replays the last moment with her daughter because her daughter disappeared for, and they didn't hear where she was until Linda found out that her daughter had been kidnapped and killed by a 15-year-old boy called Gary Brown. Now, months after, you know, he was sentenced, um, Linda and his wife, they sought refuge into this uh, parent group, like a support group for, for parents who experienced loss uh, of their kids through murder, right? And at first, she found a lot of comfort with, with being with these parents who could understand, like no other parents could understand what she was going through. But after a while, you know, she writes that, um, um, in fact, she even agreed to do like a video advocating 
for um, <clears throat> tougher sentences for younger criminals to even push the age down to 13. She even made a video for that. But after a while, it, 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 it felt hollow. And this is what she says in this article in Slate. She said, um, I didn't feel like anyone was talking about healing, about moving forward. It was all about getting even, and she wanted more. And um, fast forward 14 years later, and at this point, uh, Linda is a bit older, but also is her granddaughter, Kathy's daughter, who was five years old. So she's a young woman now. And these two uh, decide to go meet Gary, uh, the killer of... Uh, her daughter and her mother, Kathy's killer. And that encounter between uh, those women and the, and the murderer is captured in this documentary called um, Meeting with a Killer. Meeting with a Killer. And in that um, encounter, Gary, who's now, what, almost 30 years old, um, is weeping and sobbing and embarrassed and squirming. But he is unflinching in, in, in conveying the last moments of Kathy's life. This is his gift to this mother. And he tells them how he tricked her into giving him a ride. He tells this mother how she begged for for her life. And he tells this mom how after they had killed her, how they tried to disfigure her to cover up their tracks. And he shares with this mom what the last words of her daughter was before she died at at his hand. He says that, Kathy said, quote, she said, I forgive you and God will too. And then she put her head down, end quote. The filmmaker describes the most remarkable thing. Of course, there was weeping and there was crying. What I did of the meeting was lasted about four or five hours, but the video captures only about 13 minutes of it. At the end of that meeting, they all stood up and they, Linda, extended her forgiveness to Gary for killing her daughter. And they go a step further, they hug him. And what is even more, is more remarkable is that Linda no longer pushes for tougher punishment for young offenders. She's dedicated her life actually. And she says, people should not be declared worthless due to crimes committed in their youth. She's made it her life work to save young men like Gary. And, And this picture is a picture of forgiveness. Linda White chose to serve and supplant violence with compassion and made her daughter's legacy about forgiveness. GPS stands for the things that help us find our way on a journey of forgiveness. G is for gratitude. You got it. P is for powerlessness. S is for service. You know, in verse 21, Joseph tells his brothers, uh, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and, and spoke kindly to them. Joseph broke the cycle of violence by serving his brothers, by, by choosing kindness in speech and in action. Linda White used her anger to try to change her criminal system. And we have a model on using anger for healing. And I want you to look at uh, Mark 3, uh, verse 5, maybe for the first time. I want you to see this. 
This is Jesus. Jesus looked around at them. Now, the argument is what? They, they, Jesus' enemy are criticizing and condemning this idea of healing on the Sabbath, right? And then uh, he, Jesus looked around at them in what? In anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out in his hand and his hand was completely restored. Now, what we've read just here is an example of how anger... How anger is directed for healing, which is kind of crazy. But what helps us to, towards the journey of forgiveness is that we direct our anger not at the people who hurt us, but we direct our anger at the brokenness, at an attempt to, to heal and break the cycle of violence. Now, anger can also be directed, and, and some of you know this maybe more intimately than others, but anger can also be directed um, inwardly. And there's some who have a difficult time forgiving themselves and walking around, not opening their heart, not being able to, to accept God's grace for themselves. You know, when, um, when I saw, you know, if, when I saw the, the graphic for today's sermon, um, today's graphic, and I don't know what the artist had in mind, actually. And, um, and I, didn't, I hadn't spoken to Rochelle. But when I saw that picture, it triggered a memory uh, about um, something that happened about f- five or six years ago. Uh, m- m- my friend, pastor friend Mark, had invited me to come and lead a prayer retreat. And we had had a prayer uh, ministry, prayer meeting in our church. And people had been coming. And, um, and people... Neighbors had been coming. We hadn't made any announcements, but people felt compelled. The Spirit of God was doing something. So Pastor Mark says, so we want you to come to the retreat and kind of share what you're doing. And I said, Mark, I'm actually not doing anything. This is, this, we're trying to understand what's happening. This is God's Spirit doing something. So I don't know if I can replicate what's happening. But he said, come anyway. Come share something. You know, I'm sure we'll be blessed. And because it's him, I said yes. So I went to that, to that retreat with fear and trembling. And um, so... That evening, the team had created a beautiful prayer. I mean, the most beautiful prayer room I've ever seen. So I hadn't had a chance to really go. So after everything was done, it was probably close to 11 o'clock p.m., and I went and just sort of wanted to go there and go in that prayer room. Well, there was one other person there that I saw actually on the side, uh, you know, on the side of um, my glance. And it was a woman. And to this day, I can't explain it, but there was something in her face that was just etched with pain. It's the best thing I can explain it. It was, just, it was so much pain that it just struck me. And I wanted something, and in my heart I said, you know, I should probably go talk to her. But I hadn't slept the night before because I, I had so much trepidation about the retreat and I wanted to do a good job. And, and um, I was so tired and I said, maybe during the retreat I'll have a chance to connect with her. Well, so happened I did. The following day there was a lull in, the, in our program in the lobbies. And, um, and then we sort of ended up in the same space, just the two of us in the same space in that lobby. And she started to tell me her story. So her name was Melanie. And Melanie's greatest pride is to be an auntie, is to be an aunt to her nephews and nieces. And this is, was her second time being at this retreat. So she told me the story about how she had her nephew, uh, Timmy, and, and her two nieces, and she was taking those kids back to their mom. But on the way to their mom, she decided to stop at Walmart. So she went to Walmart, and in Walmart, some, you know, there was this big tower of display, and Timmy saw it right away, and it was a bunch of cookies, and he said, I want those cookies. 
And she says, no, we don't have time for that. Let's, let's go. But he was like, please, please. You know how you kids do. So Auntie Melanie said, okay, all right. But remember, you're going to share it with your sister. It's not just going to be for you. So she got him the cookies and dropped the kids off at home with their mom. Three o'clock in the morning, she guessed his frantic phone call. Timmy was in distress. There were uh, ambulances. And she could hear in the background the commotion. And the mother, her sister, frantic, finally asking her, what did you give him? What happened? And Melody said, I don't know. I, well, there was the cookies. Timmy was allergic to peanuts. And she did not, Melanie did not know how severe it was. She had no idea. Got dressed, rushed to the hospital, and she did not recognize her beloved little nephew, maybe seven, eight years old, twos coming out of everywhere. And the doctor, hearing the doctor saying that he might not survive. And Melanie at that moment said, God, if you save my, if you save Timmy, I will never ask you anything my whole life. I will never pray for anything, anything, if you just save, save that boy. And she said that she, there was touch and go, and she said that she even dreamed that Jesus uh, came, it was standing on the side of the bed, and she thought, okay, this was a sign that he's going to make it. And it was a time even that when she, uh, when she um, uh, walked outside the hospital for a moment and she sort of crumpled somewhere and, and all the tears of her body was coming out of her eyes and this stranger was really worried and she tried to explain to them. The stranger didn't really seem to understand, but he said something like, peace, you know, peace be with you. God loves you. And she thought maybe that was an angel and God is, is sending me an angel to let me know he's going to be all right. In that evening, when the doctor came in, to the room and say, well, it's only going to take a miracle. There's nothing else we can do. So Mel- Melanie, she, she prayed, Lord, take my life. Because if he dies, I might as well be dead. She said, take my life and save my nephew. And that evening, he died. And she said the moment he died, she descended to an abyss in a darkness that was indescribable. She doesn't remember much of anything. Except that her sister her best friend could no longer look upon her without being reminded of something that no parents want to go through. And in her isolation, there were thankfully some Christians, some, some, some believers who came around her, who essentially saved her life. And then they invited her to the retreat of the year previous, and she came to that retreat. And it did her body good, and she figured she'd come back again. But she lived every day with that horrible guilt of what she felt she had caused. So when she told me this story, I, you know, my heart, I, I'm, I'm taken back to that moment and my heart sort of broke. I didn't know what to say, but I think I, remember, I, think I prayed with her and, and I heard myself say it. I just, I can hear myself say it. Do you want to be anointed? And she said, I thought, you would never ask. And we, we, we talked about anointing. Because some people think that anointing is only for people who are on, on the brink of death. But, but the word in James, you know, chapter 5, is any of you sick? You know, any of you need healing? And she was in great need of healing. So this brave woman, you know, I don't know what program I had that day, but this brave woman stood up. And I didn't even ask her to share her story. And she shared her story, and I, I can't to this day describe 
the wave of humanity that descended on her, the people who came from the congregation descended on her with such love that I've never seen. And they just circled her and held her as we prayed. And when we were done, people remarked that her face didn't seem to have any lines in it. And they remarked that she had a piece that they'd never seen before. Not only that, but the people that surrounded her, there were some who were going through breakthroughs at that moment and healing. You know, when we accept God's forgiveness, when we allow God to do the work that he wants to do inside of us, you know, it allows him to use our life for us to serve in a way, to serve as a testament of God's loving kindness so that other people are able to find healing. Forgiveness is possible. And forgiveness is available. And I want us to pray, actually, to pray this prayer together as we, as we come to a close. Um, together. Lord, let's try it again. <laughs> Lord, please transform any anger in me and use it for acts of compassion. In your name, amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, my prayer is um, for us, Lord, for you to have mercy on us. And Lord, that your spirit would overflow in this space, that this space would be a holy place. And as someone, Lord, who is on the grips of, of holding on and not forgiving and who's raging against what has happened, that, Lord, they would find your grace meeting them where they are and that they would be able to forgive and let go. And Lord, for those who, for that person who um, can't see their way to accepting what you have done for them, I pray, Lord, that you would break um, any barrier and that their heart would be flooded with your grace and that they would be set free. In your name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.